Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. We are going to be talking about a subject that is all the rage right now, the future of blockchain. Uh, and with us is my friend, Dave Ritter. Dave, thanks so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, well, I feel really thrilled that you're here too, because frankly, when I'm thinking about blockchain, there are a few people who are experts, and obviously, with the work that we're doing together at Uledger, there is uh, there there is a, a world of options. But fundamentally, I don't know many people who are as well versed and really kind of being held up as blockchain experts in the world. Uh, you have a lot of experience. You run have founded and run two companies that are based in blockchain. You're head of product at uh, Uledger where we're working together, but also you speak on this topic prolifically, you've written about it. Like, tell me from a starting point, like what is blockchain in the first place? I really appreciate that. Thanks. Um, I appreciate that you consider me an expert. There are, you know, definitely people who were in the space earlier than myself, but I, I, I started getting my feet wet with Bitcoin in 2014. And then that ended up turning into a career down the road in 2017. Um, and it's been um, it's been an amazing space to be involved in because I think that so much about this space is about bringing transparency and accountability to data systems. And I'm sure we're going to dig into that. Um, so where did my journey begin, I think, was the question. Yeah. And um, I came from a financial services background. I spent about 10 years in private equity. And guess what? I saw every kind of bad behavior you can imagine in private equity with bad investment deals, um, um, documentation that was purposely misleading, um, deals that just could never possibly be successful, and, and people were still investing into bad deals. And, and it was, a lot of it was legal, by the way. I should say that so much of this was legal, but it was really an abuse of information. It was that the project seller had access to information that the project investor did not. And so much of our financial ecosystem um, kind of comes down to what information party A has versus what information party B has. And I just- an Informational asymmetry, really. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's what, and that's kind of what, um, what drew me to blockchain in the beginning was this, this opportunity for a better economic system, better businesses, better business models, better economics uh, from a macro level based on better information flows, more transparency, not just transparency in, in the data flow, but also accountability for the raw data sets, raw data sets that form the information that's being shared between transacting parties in the business, or you know, in a larger context, if we're thinking about governments or public institutions or universities, and we and we use information as ways to to assess people in the space, to understand the products and services they're offering, to know if they're good or bad. Um, but our our assessment can only be as good as the information we have. Well, so let's talk about like, so so you were drawn to blockchain because you saw this incredible, frankly, imbalance in, in power because of information access, really also trustworthiness of that information. What is blockchain at a very basic level? And then let's think about like, how does blockchain solve for this? 
Blockchain at a very basic level is ledger technology. The bigger umbrella term for blockchain is distributed ledger technology. And people use words like decentralization to talk about blockchain. But let me just, for your, for your viewers and listeners, I want to say that there is a spectrum that goes from distributed data systems all the way to decentralized. And the goal, I think, for many people in the space is to become as decentralized as possible so that when it comes to public information or information that is available publicly, that nobody necessarily asserts ownership over public information. Mm. In private information, on the other hand, we actually get to assert our own ownership over our own information. I think both of those are true um, and, are, and are, are kind of hallmarks of how data should work in a Web3 ecosystem. And blockchain in Web3 for me is the, it's the network infrastructure. It's the way that data systems are built. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to come back to what Web three is because I don't think most people understand that as well. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to like throw a new term out there, but coming back to blockchain, blockchain can be thought of like this: it's like a chain of custody for information or for assets through a digital system. So imagine that, and one of the projects that we've worked on is a um, is a grant that we've submitted to the National Institutes of Health (NIH) for public data repositories around health information. So imagine that the government is funding acquisition of data related to some kind of a clinical trial or a large, um, a large sampling of people that are going through some kind of treatment for some, some you know, neuropathology. Okay, the government has funded this with public money, but typically these data repositories are housed at private institutions or sometimes public institutions. Think a university that's doing the research who owns the data? Does the government own the data? Does the, the private research institution own the data? Um, in many cases, it's the university that received the grant who kind of owns the data. It's typically publicly available, but you have to go through a process where you get permissioning from that, that um, repository. Yeah. So there's kind of like complex data ecosystems out there. And I'm using this as an example to explain what blockchain is. Yep. So a patient comes in, decides that they're going to give you their data, and it can go on to that, that data repository that is kind of somehow shared between the university and, and, and the public space. Um, but we need to know that that data was ethically sourced. We need to make sure we timestamp that data so we know when it came in. We got to make sure that we understand the metadata, the data about the data, about the collection and processing of that data. Who collected it, where, when, how, why. Um, and blockchain does a great job, a much better job than what we've seen with previous data systems, where we, we, we capture that information, the, the information itself and the metadata, the data about the data, and we establish a provenance of the data. So we know where it came from, how it it's was origination. It's, orig it's origin data, right? Yeah. And then as it moves through a system, so imagine that third party comes in and says to the repository owner, hey, I want access to run my own research using your data set. And they provide that access, even though it's publicly available data, right? Yeah. Um, they provide that access. And now I'm running computations on that data and I'm generating new data sets from those original data inputs that inform possibly you know, new medical treatments or something like that. But if, if, if a new research comes along or the government comes along or the FDA and says, hey, I want to scrutinize the output of your research to make sure that it meets our requirements, was ethically sourced, and that your, your assumptions are correct, then they need to be able to trace 
the outcome of their computations back to the original data set. That's the chain of custody that I was talking about a long yeah. time ago. Feels like a long time ago. But the <laughs> whole idea is that if you have really good provenance um, for your data, your information, or your asset, it also could just be an asset, yeah. a product or a financial asset, and you can track that forward and track it back, you have so much more transparency in, in any kind of computational outputs that result from that data. You can make sure it was ethically sourced, that it's a data set that you're allowed to use, that meets your requirements, your governance requirements, and you have accountability that the data was used correctly. That, and that, and the that it wasn't changed or altered at any point, right? Like, because that's right. time stamped at each point or who accessed it, et cetera. Then I've probably given your, your, your audience a totally different explanation of blockchain than they're used to. The, the words that are usually associated with blockchain are uh, decentralization, immutability. So what you and just crypto. talked about is in crypto, and we'll talk about crypto in a second, but immutability is the whole thing that you just mentioned, where if anywhere in that data chain that I, that I just kind of went through in the example, somebody changes the data alter or alters the metadata, the data about the data, where we tracked our provenance, understood that it was ethically sourced, all that stuff. If anybody changes it, it can be changed. The data can be changed, but it can't be changed without us witnessing the change. Yeah. So blockchain tracks the change. We know when it was changed. Hopefully we know who changed it. That may or may not happen depending on the way it's set up. But we are able to revert to the original data history if we determine that that change was unacceptable. Somebody so said- there, Is there like a use case here for, I think about like something really important in the world today is voting, right? Are there, I mean, what are some of the use cases for this? I mean, I know we're talking about data here, which is really important, like me medical data, private data. But I mean, some of the stuff that people are hearing about is crypto. I want to talk about that. NFTs are all the rage, although I'm not sure most people associate NFTs and blockchain. Um, and, and what are some of the other use cases? Yeah, let me take those one by one. So voting, I love blockchain as, and, and let's just not say the, the better term, we're going to say blockchain, but the better term is distributed ledger technology because they're not okay. all blockchains. A blockchain is literally a block of data that is validated by a consensus of the network, which is the community. And then it goes on to the chain. The chain is the data record. That's a blockchain. Not all distributed ledgers are constructed like blockchains. And therefore, they're not all blockchains. But for shorthand, we're going to use blockchain. Um, I love blockchain for voting because the whole problem with, with um, what we're seeing in, in the United States and elsewhere where people are contesting elections, uh, even though so far it seems from all the information that's out there, the court cases, the reviews that have been done by the Justice Department, all the institutions that have looked at the actual data are saying that this was our, our, our most free and fair election that we've ever had, 2020 election. But a lot of people dispute that. And I guess what the heart of the matter is, well, show us the data so that people can draw their own conclusions. And I don't know where to go to look for that data, do you? I mean, so thinking about reinventing data systems and, and, da and voting is data, right? Yep. Voting is binary. You, you vote yes or no. Or in, you in, vote the, in the current structure, it is binary. Right, or you vote for a particular candidate and, and those um, can be tracked as, as data transactions. Um, I, I think there are a number of companies out there, not, I haven't specifically been in this space, that have tried to run voting on the blockchain. And the whole idea is that you have that chain of custody for a vote. You have the immutability, so it can't be changed without the consent of the voter. And I think those things are, are so critically important to voting that they just make sense on a fundamental level. Yes. Where we haven't gone yet is connecting blockchain to established voting systems. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a world in the not too distant future where 
blockchains are connected to um, physical voting machines yes. or to um, paper ballots. And then what you have with the blockchain is you have a digital ledger of record, just like a bank has a ledger of record for account balances. We have a ledger of record that's provided by this, this network infrastructure blockchain that's transparent and visible to everybody in the community. So everybody can see the data. I don't know that Lisa voted for X candidate or David voted for Y candidate, but I can see that that somebody, a unique voter, voted on this day and this time in this precinct, and this is the outcome of their vote. And I can trace that if it goes forward and is part of a, a, um, a recount, then I can trace it back to the original vote. So that chain of custody is so important. Absolutely. That's what I see for voting. Crypto and NFTs. Crypto is probably the most famous use case for blockchain, but I want to disabuse any viewers of thinking it's the only use case for blockchain because I think there's a huge, a bigger opportunity ultimately for blockchain to serve data applications. And the transparency that you were talking about, right? And that immutability of data is really important in a world where, frankly, the last 15 years of technology companies has preyed on our data and made money from our private data. So that, I, I think it's very relevant. Without our consent. That's Without our consent. Thing, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's what we do with my company, Privacy Lock, is we're working with businesses, um, in particular banks and financial institutions, to comply with consumer privacy laws like California CCPA and GDPR. And the whole idea there is that governments are waking up to the abuse that's gone on of, of selling data without consent, all the, ro the, the aggressive robocalls. I've had at least six today, literally six, and it's like 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon my time. Um, that comes from sale of data because how are those people getting my contact information? Absolutely. Sale of data without my consent. Yep. It's, it's all these abuses that we've seen, identity theft, credit card theft, the kind of, all, all this stuff really kind of comes from theft of data. Um, consumer privacy laws are changing that and Privacy Lock is, is working, using blockchain technology to help people audit what they do with data so that we don't only say we're going we're gonna, to um, protect your data privacy, but we're going to actually um, track your opt and opt out consents. And we're going to track what we do with your data. And then if you ask us, what have you done with my data? We can tell you, oh, and by the way, here's a blockchain record that proves that that's what it's been audited. It's an audit trail. It's pretty amazing. It's a way, it's a way of building trust. You know, blockchains in one sentence, what do blockchains do? They bring trust to data systems, especially yeah. when you have different stakeholders with different interests. In, in, a, in an ecosystem. So it addresses the information asymmetry that we started with. But yeah, crypto is a way of bringing that kind of transparency and accountability to financial transactions. And so in the past, and this is kind of like the, the, the like early day stories of Bitcoin, it was like, well, if I wanna have a transaction with you here in the US, Lisa, then um, I send you money from my Bank of America bank account to your, I don't know, Wells Fargo bank account. Hopefully you're not a Wells Fargo. Such, such a Californian, Dave. <laughs> Um, but if I do that, and in this country, everything, every financial transaction sooner or later must go through a bank. That's how the regulatory system is set up. Um, so basically, I tell my bank to take money out of my bank account and to put it in the Wells Fargo general account, and then they put it into your personal account, right? That's kind of like what a transaction is. To do that, we've gone through at least two intermediaries, my bank and your bank. Yep. There might be other intermediaries involved because there's all kinds of complicated things where there's um, um, you know, closings that happen at the end of the day between banks and all kinds of crazy things. So, but there's at least two intermediaries. And to do that, I've maybe had to pay money to transfer you my money, or you've had to pay money to receive the money that I transferred yeah. you. 
And that money is going to the banks who really aren't doing anything other than providing a ledger that they maintain that says that David's taken $100 and, and given it to Lisa. Now Lisa has $100 more, David has $100 less. Yeah. Bitcoin stepped in in the original Bitcoin white paper, an eight-page white paper. Imagine Amazing. Amazing. how many billions of dollars you know, worth of market value Bitcoin is, is worth. Started with an eight-page white paper calling itself a cash a system for um, a digital cash transfer system. So it's a digital way to transfer cash. That's really the one core use case that Bitcoin does. And it means that instead of having Bank of America and Wells Fargo be the, um, the conduits through which our, our transfer happens, the community manages our transfer. So instead of two banks, two centralized organizations signing off on the transfer, now I can send $100 through Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network from me to you, and I don't need any banks. It's, well, it's, it's, it's basically, um, it, just because I'm watching time, it, I mean, crypto is short for cryptocurrency, which is creating its yes. own kind of like digital token that again, to your point, allows two parties to transact with trust and transparency, right? Through, through this opportunity that a bank, otherwise we don't necessarily have, again, that visibility into what they're doing and they also are taking a cut. That's exactly right. Without the need for some kind of traditional financial institution to approve the transaction. So instead the community witnesses, validates and confirms the transaction. However, that is also problematic in some ways, obviously because there's it's totally unregulated right now, so there's a lot of speculation. But more than the lack of regulation, because that will come, I think, if you if you think about the future of blockchain. But I think something that I, I heard just this morning, a BBC report that said because of crypto's popularity and because of the community nature of having to validate the data, right, and 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 affirm it. 2% of the daily usage of all the world's electricity right now is being used by blockchain, mostly in these decentralized finance or DeFi, crypto, NFT-based approaches. 2% mm -hmm. of the daily electrical use around the world right now is crypto, which is a nascent industry. Like, what are some of the other, as we think about the future of blockchain, like, what are some of the risks? as well as, I mean, the major opportunities that, that you're you know, worried about as well as really excited about. Yeah, there's a, a deeper conversation here about why there's that energy consumption. But to keep it brief, um, blockchains like Bitcoin, and until like two days ago, Ethereum used a mechanism called proof of work, which requires that you, that you use um, computational devices to perform a large number of transactions and computations to solve a puzzle, basically, a cryptographic puzzle. And whoever solves the puzzle first is awarded Bitcoin or awarded Ethereum. That's called proof of work. And that just creates a, a tremendous amount of energy consumption to, to go through that process. And people compete for the Bitcoin reward and they compete for the Ethereum reward because that's the financial incentive to participate in this proof of work consensus. So basically, the network incentivizes you and me to participate in validating transactions. That's the economic incentive for people to work in a community to validate transactions. Um, just the other day, Ethereum finally, after many, many years, made a shift to something called proof of stake, which is more like a voting system, where instead of using your computational devices to run these, these computations and solve the cryptographic puzzle, instead you vote. 
and you use this kind of voting system and, and they're structured differently, but as an umbrella term, they're called proof of stake. You stake your tokens, like an escrow account, against your vote. So if you're a bad actor, then you you risk losing your stake. You, it's, it's, it's a de- disincentive, actually, for bad acting versus the incentive for participating. Yeah, that, oh, that's a perfect way. I wish I had said it that way. That's yeah. a perfect way to say it. And, and, and basically, this is, this is an attempt to address the energy consumption problem. So proof of work is going to continue being a, a huge sinkhole for energy consumption, but um, chains that have moved in the proof of stake space or, or using other kinds of consensus mechanisms that are not computationally based um, are, are trying to address that. I saw an article just yesterday, and of course, these things really need to be taken with a grain of salt because they're often reported by the somebody with a financial interest in seeing it reported. But I, I read that already Ethereum's energy consumption is down 99%. So, oh, yeah, I don't. I'm not buying it, but okay, cool. <laughs> I'm also not buying it. But you know, <laughs> even, if you're, even if you're doing proof of stake, you still, there's still electricity being used. Yeah. The data has to go somewhere, has to sit somewhere, has to move somewhere. So it's probably no different from running a, a voting system on um, you know, an AWS server or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's cloud and all of that. So what do you, what are, uh, we have, we have just about a minute or so left. Like, what are you, what are you most excited about when you think about the future? I mean, you've been in this now for uh, uh, more than a minute. You have your fingers in lots of, you know, blockchain pies. Like what, what are you most excited about? I've been in about two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I believe that this generation of, of technology so blockchain distributed ledger and the web three that I mentioned before is really like a constellation of emerging technologies. It's blockchain distributed ledger, it's IOT devices, internet of things, it's um, AI, AI ML. it's quantum computing. It's this whole like new generation of, of technologies that are coming up together. I believe that the role blockchain plays is as kind of the core data layer to manage data with transparency and accountability for those other technologies that are coming out. Um, what am I excited about? I'm excited about transparency and data because I think it will transform the way that we do digitally driven business. It will transform the way that we vote. It will transform the way that governments um, run compliance on pharmaceutical drugs before they get into the marketplace. It'll change the way that we do um, uh, just information sharing for investment. You know, think about like the way that public reporting is done now. You're a public company, you have all these reporting requirements. But imagine that instead of waiting for a report to be published, it's living on the blockchain and you can see it and track it. You can audit it anytime you want. So I think we're moving to a place where information- I, I want to add supply chain transparency as well. I just did an episode on sustainable supply chains and we didn't talk about blockchain, but I think that's an amazing use case also, which is, again, coming back to provenance of raw materials, is it ethically sourced, is the good labor practices, what's the environmental impact, et cetera. Yeah, I didn't want to go there because we've done, we've spent several years doing supply chain projects and, and that's a whole other topic. But yes, I mean, in, in the pharmaceutical example that I gave you, the compliance part of that pharmaceutical supply chain is, is a part of the supply chain. You know, where that data comes from, from the manufacturers, from the assemblers who, and, and I'll just throw a number out at you. Um, 80% of the materials that are in generic drugs in the US market today, if you go to your local Walgreens, your CVS, and you buy a, uh, an over-the-counter drug, 80% of the ingredients in that drug were manufactured overseas, primarily in China and India. That's regulated by the FDA. How often does the FDA go and visit those manufacturing facilities? Very rarely. There's, there's research out there. I'll let you do your own reading. But the whole point is that 
if we have data transparency through a data network where you have trust and accountability and provenance and chain of custody for your information, then you have, you're going to have much better outcomes. Yeah. So we're going to have a lot less um, illegal manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, which is a huge problem in this country. We're going to have um, less cases of um, um, romaine lettuce in, in local supermarkets that go bad and need to be recalled across the country. But so we're going to have more efficient data systems to address problems in supply chains. And we're going to have more efficient data systems to make better supply chains that hopefully it's not just about making safer food and safer drugs, but it's also about making more sustainable industries where more of that money through the transparent ecosystem comes back to the producers who tend Absolutely, to be that first step loaded. of it, which is like, right. The raw, raw material, which is where actually like so much of the, uh, the, the biggest environmental degradation and or labor practices really have a, a material impact. Yeah. So not to put too fine a point on it, but I believe that that blockchain distributed ledger is going to just radically transform the way that we do things with data. And that's going to change the world that we live in, hopefully for the better, for a better, more transparent, more accountable, more equitable world. Um, but that's 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 the vision. I um, you put it you put a pretty fine point on something that's really <laughs> important and really hopeful. And I hope that all of our listeners and viewers uh, we'll think about blockchain today differently than just as like cryptocurrency in a way of making a quick buck and understand a little bit better and the opportunity that it provides all of us in the world to, to really uh, change the world for the better. So Dave, thanks so much for joining us and for sharing your incredible expertise. I do think it's expertise, just so you know. <laughs> My two minutes. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Um, for everyone watching and listening, uh, you can check out uledger.co. You can also check out Penta blockchain solutions, as well as um, data lock, is it privacy lock, sorry, yeah, um, yeah. to learn more about what Dave is doing. Um, and if you are not already subscribed to Future of XYZ, make sure you do so. You can do that on YouTube or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Future of XYZ. Uh, we are actually looking for guests for 2023. Uh, starting around Q2. It keeps filling up. So if you or someone you know uh, wants to join us for one of these conversations and subject matter expert, let me know. You can reach out to us through future-of.xyz. We will see you next week. Dave, thanks again. I'll see you in our next team call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.